0: You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888 Road Dog. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you have questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, If you've got questions, you've come to the right place. That's what we do. We take your calls and we answer your questions about all of those topics and more. All you have to do is dial us up and join us. You can also join us on the web at Let'sTruck.com. You can follow us on Facebook.com as well. Many times, things that we're discussing here on the air, we post up there to discuss Also, so check that out. We're going to get to the calls in just a couple minutes. I want to help you right now do something that uh, roughly about 95 percent of the population doesn't do. Almost. Well, a lot of people set New Year's resolutions now. If you do it right, your chances of success are much better. Most people don't do it right. Most people think it in their head. They might tell somebody close to them what their New Year's resolution is, and that's about it. And they might sort of stick to it the first couple weeks of January, but now January is winding down. You'd be surprised how many people have just totally blown off Any of their New Year's resolutions or plans or goals, they're forgotten. They're right back to doing exactly what they used to do every day. Now is the time to to be different, to move yourself into that top 5% that says, you know what, I'm going to get it in writing. If you didn't get those plans, those goals, those resolutions down in writing at the beginning of January, get it down now. Nobody says January, the first week is the only time you can make changes or improve your life. You can do it any time you choose. Why not choose right now? Why not choose to go back? If, If you did put them in writing, go back and read them. How are you doing? One of the things I can tell you, and this seems so ridiculously simple, but it is. It's just decide that no matter what. You're just going to keep pushing through on those plans, those goals, those resolutions, whatever you called them, even if you quit 15 times already this year. So what? Go back and do it again. Go back and reread them. Maybe rewrite them. Maybe now after having a couple weeks, maybe you've got some new ideas or some things you want to change. Go back and do it. You know, so many people go through the motions about setting New Year's resolutions and very, very few follow through. Uh, Every year I mention that I should probably just stay out of the gym in January because of all the people who made New Year's resolutions, signed up for the gym, started going in January and usually by the end of the month, they're gone. It it is I, I've watched this year after year after year. And and there have been years where I just skip going in January. This year I've been to the gym, I don't know, maybe seven or eight times in January. And it is a zoo. The other night I had to wait almost a half hour to get a lane in the pool. And it's never like that. In December I never waited uh for anything. And by the middle of February, we'll be right back to where we were. And the vast majority of those people will be gone. Gyms know this. That's why their structure, their pricing structure is set up the way it is. They give people huge, huge discounts for signing long-term contracts because they know when they've got you in that New Year's resolution mode, you will commit to things. And you look at the price and they're going to give you a great deal if you sign up for three years. Gyms are smart. They can sign up all kinds of people. They can way overbook the facility because they know most people aren't going to stick with it. Why not be different this year? Whether it's getting fit and healthy, losing weight, giving up some bad habits, building your business, getting to know your numbers, getting your personal finances in order, relationships, spirituality, whatever it is, whatever your goals were, why not go back to them and revisit them now and recommit to getting them done? That would put you in the top 5%, probably the top 3% if you actually just stick to any one goal till it, till you achieve it or the, the behavior becomes a habit or whatever you're trying to do. Let's, um, Let's get to some phone calls. I'm going to head off to Nebraska to get started. Justin, welcome to the program.
0: Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, about four years ago, I put together a uh, glider, and I okay. bought a Pittsburgh Power motor. And when I was, uh, you know, I've had just numerous issues throughout. I just want to talk about them a little bit. When I bought the motor, it, we actually got the receipt, and it actually had no description of what was done to it. And when I originally was talking to him, he told me it was a Pittsburgh power motor with everything on it except for the power box. So said, okay, cool. A day before I went to pick it up, he told, called me and said, if you can wait a little bit, we can get it up to a 585 horse. He just has to change the cams or the pistons or I, I don't remember which one it was. And I said, no, I don't need that much horsepower. So he picked okay. it up, brought it back home and the receipt showed absolutely nothing on it, just flat out, you know, what the mo the motor and the price of it. I called and wanted to know, you know, more particulars about it. And I really didn't get sort of an answer on it. And then uh within the first year or so I had a turbo go out and they had an injector go out. And come to find out the turbo was a waste gated uh turbo and I called Bruce about it. He didn't understand why that had that on there. And also in the process the Manifold had cracked, and nobody could tell me if it was the Pittsburgh Power Manifold or not. So he did warranty both of them, sent me new ones. I had another turbo go out uh, probably a year later, and I sent the turbo back to Bruce, and he sent me back a a box of parts, uh, you know, saying this is what went bad. Didn't tell me what the parts were, anything about it. And then I had another turbo go out on it again and another injector. So in the process of the first four years, I had three turbos go out and two injectors. Well, then uh, about a month ago, I had uh, started losing coolant. Took it into the shop. They told me I had a head gasket going out. OPS, all my samples never came back showing anything about a head gasket going bad. It did show them when my injectors were going bad. It did show that. Uh, so then I had to wait a week.
1: On on the head gasket, we won't always see that in an oil sample. A head gasket can go without coolant getting into the oil.
0: Yeah. They explained to me there's two different ways. One is external. One is internal. Exactly. So when they went to do, redo the head gasket, they found that the head was bad. That it had some, a little bit of scar marks on it. And the bearings were completely shot. That the bearings showed that it had three times the amount of miles on it. And the only explanation I could get from that shop was completely, and one answer was the OPS system, keeping uh, the oil too dirty. And I know everybody else's experiences with Pittsburgh Power and with OPS has been stellar, but mine hasn't been. Uh, You know, I called uh, Bruce numerous times about it, and his one answer is the exact same answer as, the shop redid it is because of not changing the oil that caused the turbos, the injectors, and my bearings to go back. He believes yep. in the OPS system that it cleans it, but it, he does not believe in extending the drain. I called OPS about it. They took a sample right from where my OPS filtered before we rebuilt the motor. And they, when they got the sample, it showed actually nothing showing these bearings going out. And the only answer I continually get is because of having the OPS on it. And, I, you know, I, when I bought the motor from Pittsburgh Power, I paid a $10,000 premium up the, uh, above Detroit's price because I thought I was getting quality. And I know everybody else gets quality, but I certainly didn't see it.
1: Yeah. And, and we always want to know that. And we follow up on all this stuff. I follow up with every single complaint call from Bruce. We, we double check. And if they've made mistakes, he clearly admits it. They find out who did it, why it happened, they put things in place to stop it. The The one thing that I'm always at a disadvantage of on this call is when I do finally get to Bruce and we go over this, then I get, the rest of the story and I'm not saying that anything about your story is false not at all but you know one of Dr. Phil's favorite sayings no matter how flat you make a pancake there's always two sides there's always some other part that if we know can help us make decisions um, the music's playing I'm going to get to a break when I come back I do have some more to say about this so stick around we'll be right back I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. You know, in all fairness, we make it very, very clear to our partner companies that we will take all calls on the air. Uh, No matter what the complaint is, no matter what the problem was, we take the call. We talk about it. We don't try to hide anything. We don't try to sweep it under the rug. We don't rush anybody. I don't cut anybody off. We let them tell their story. But in all fairness to our vendors, we should probably take that call, let them do their research, figure out what happened and let them come on the air at the same time. Now, normally what we do is I just get as much information as I can. I go back and research it. Bruce and I talk about it or any vendor. Um, We talk about it. We figure out what went wrong. We figure out what we can do to fix it. But that really doesn't give them a fair shot at, at presenting their side of the story. And you know, we're okay with that. Uh, I will find out what happened here. I have no idea why. And this is the thing. And, and you know, I've often talked about the 70% rule when it comes to products. If it works 70% of the time, well, we have a much higher standard than that for customer service. I mean, we want to shoot for 100% of the time. And And I can promise you that most of our vendors are darn close to that. I mean, they all make mistakes. We all have issues. We, we do ourselves here, but most of our feedback is in the high 90% positive. So I, I always, I always want to know, how does something go wrong in a system that works so well, most of the time, and I'll go figure it out. Um, and, and I'll give Bruce a shot at, you know, figuring out what went wrong and, um, deciding what to do. The, um, the, there is an issue with, with 60 series right now. And I, I hate to even say this. It, it's a little disheartening because I love this engine. It, it's exactly what I want in a truck. And because of all the emission related problems, it, there's been such a huge demand for these older 60 series blocks and parts that we are seeing higher than normal failure rates. I, I've been talking about it for years on the injectors. We we try to find the best injectors we can possibly get. And, and I know Pittsburgh Power does as well. And it's not just them. We are seeing injector failures everywhere across the country. It, it's to the point where I've changed When I tell somebody they should have their injectors looked at, we're we're willing to put up with more fuel dilution than I used to be willing to put up with just because I'm afraid of getting new injectors and, and making the problem worse. Um, turbos on that engine. I I don't think I've ever seen four turbos fail on the same engine. I'm not doubting you at all. Again, I just, it's so out of the ordinary that, I need to find out why something went so wrong with this engine. I will tell you, I am completely confident it's not the oil. Um, I have tons of faith in the OPS and extended drains. And I know Bruce loves the OPS and the EcoPure. He just thinks it should be there as just a supplement to keep the oil cleaner, not to extend the drains. I disagree on that. And Bruce and I have talked about it. We don't agree on everything. I have, lots and lots of firsthand experience with bypass filters of all kinds. And if we're watching the oil samples and the oil samples are clean, then it wasn't that that caused the problem. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't the the fact that we were doing extended drains. Let's get to uh, Indiana Bernard. Welcome to the program.
2: Hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, just got a quick question. I'm a new listener, and um just trying to figure out how to get my field mileage up. Uh, I got an 06 Freightliner, 14 liter uh, Detroit, and I generally haul heavy, uh, 60 plus thousand on the deck most times. I'm just wondering if if it's even possible to even get uh, the seven and, and eight range doing what I'm doing.
1: You know, at, at, at that weight, uh, and it sounds like an open deck. So you've got a lot of weight. You've got lousy aerodynamics eight. I don't, you know, I hate to ever say we can't get to a number uh, because every time I've done that in the past, I've been wrong. You know, I I said there was a time where we just wouldn't be able to get to nine. We didn't have the available technology and we blew right through nine. And we have some people actually breaking 10 in the real world. But now They have their own trailer, so we get to control a lot of it. They get to pick their own loads, so they tend to run light. So I I don't like to put a top end on it. Eight uh, with that kind of weight is definitely a challenge, but I think it could be done. Uh, Here's the other thing that's important, though. Most people that pull this kind of weight will immediately say, well, I pull heavy. I can't get any kind of fuel mileage. Yeah, but that's a dangerous way to think because a lot of these right. guys are down in the fours and fives. And if yeah. we can only improve their fuel mileage by just three-tenths of a mile per gallon, it, there's a huge payback. The worse right. your fuel mileage is, the more little improvements actually make a big difference on the bottom line. So, you know, I've taken guys who are hauling heavy and ugly from four and a half up to six. And that's like a $20,000 a year savings. Right, so right, right. Maybe we can't get to eight, but why not set it as a goal and, and let's shoot for it? Now, the, the one thing I will tell you is that depending on the operation, we focus on different aspects of fuel economy. So there, there are basically three major areas of physics that we need to address. We need to address aerodynamics. We need to address rolling resistance and mechanical resistance in the driveline. We need to address the thermal efficiency of the engine, how, how well the engine converts fuel into energy. And those are the areas that we can make improvements on. Now, when okay. somebody hauls heavy, I tend to focus first on the engine because that's where okay. we can make the biggest gains. So if we look at things like a Pittsburgh power box, uh, the fast fuel system, uh, fleet air filter, uh Evans coolant. The 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 things we do directly to the engine, the Pittsburgh Power Manifold, if it's available, building a, a really clean, simple exhaust system. So we reduce back pressure. I'd All like right. to focus on the engine first because okay. we get multiple benefits. One, when you're hauling that kind of weight and you build a really nicely tuned engine, it's just a pleasure to drive. Uh yeah. two, we get much better fuel economy. And three, the engine actually lasts longer when we, you know, we can turn it up, we can increase the horsepower and torque, and we can just get that engine running efficiently. Then the next place I would start to look would be rolling resistance, making sure you have the lowest rolling resistance tires you can find that work for your operation. Um, We can look.
2: I have uh, the Kelly KDAs on there, which I know those are horrible. Right. Right. Don't, don't know if I can do the Michelin's right off. What would you suggest as an alternative to uh, to the Michelin's?
1: You know, I would look at uh, Yokohama's. I would look at some of okay. the Bridgestones, uh, both Yokohama, Bridgestone, even Continental. Continental doesn't have a lot of low rolling resistance, though. So probably your best bet is Yokohama and Bridgestone. Um, okay. Look for the low numbers and then look for a price because you can get those priced better than the Michelin's.
2: Okay. Now, I've already done a couple upgrades. I've done the um uh, the Pittsburgh the, the power muffler, and I've done the fleet air filter. I'm Go still ahead. getting, I'm right around five and a half. The best I've been able to get is about 6.3, 6.2, somewhere in there. The best okay. I've been able to do. So, our I know the tires are helping me out a lot, but I don't know if it'll get me where I need to be, though.
3: Um,
1: if you move from the Kelly's down to something in the low one hundreds, um, you'll see almost a half mile per gallon. Okay. All right. The tires can really make a huge difference. Do you have a, do you have one of our scan gauges yet?
2: Yeah. I also have one of those as well. And that's, that's what really got me to the six, 6.3 is when I got the scan gauge, so I was able to watch my the way I was driving. So excellent.
1: Excellent. Well, you're on the right track and And remember when you're down in that range, pulling heavy, every little bit really counts and makes a big difference. so you're doing the right thing. A lot of guys that pull heavy just say "ah, I'm not going to bother I'll never get any fuel mileage anyway." well, we're all going to get some fuel mileage i mean right. and everybody can improve it so it's the people who could make the biggest difference who tend to ignore it the most. you know you get the guys right. who get Hooked on this, and they get up around eight, eight and a half, they get to nine, and then they become fanatics. You know, they start doing everything just to squeeze another tenth or two out. And many times, once you get up to nine, you know, squeezing out one more tenth doesn't even save you that much money. So sometimes (laughs) you have to be careful that you're not spending more money than you're saving. But some guys do it just because the challenge of it, they just get hooked. And that's not a bad thing. But I wish I could get more of the people down on the other end of the spectrum thinking the same way, the way you are, uh, because oh, they can right. make the biggest difference of all.
2: Yeah. All right. I had an oil stump. I do not know if you had time to take a quick look at that or she to uh, it over to you. Or...
1: Yep. Let me see if I've got it here. Uh, let me take a look at it. I'll put you on hold, and we'll get back to you right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Uh, before the break, I was talking with Bernard in Indiana. Bernard, are you still with me? Yes. All right. So I've got your oil sample here and this is good news. What we look for a couple things when we look at oil samples, how well is the engine performing? And that's kind of what I was talking about, you know, focusing on the engine to do some of the upgrades you've done. They have lead air filter, the Pittsburgh power muffler, And that can really improve engine performance. And and I can see it. Typically, an emission engine, um, they just tend to be dirty. They put a lot of soot back into the oil. So we're always looking at soot. Yours is less than 0.8. So that's a a great sign for an emission engine. That means it's tuned well. It's running good. Um, So we're not dealing with any major emission-related problems. So... That kind of gives us the green light to go ahead and and do more of those engine upgrades if we want to because everything's working good. Now we just want to make it better.
2: Okay, great. So oil sample looks great.
1: Just uh, keep doing what you're doing. Call me once in a while and check in, and uh, we'll continue helping you out. And who knows? Maybe we will get you to that eight. It's not out of the question. Let's go to... uh, indiana jerry welcome to the program
0: well it's always a pleasure to talk to you kevin i've got about three things today and one of them the first one is uh no relevance whatsoever other than the fact that my inquiring mind wants to know um has to do with natural gas doesn't liquefied natural gas still have to be stored and dispensed under pressure
1: Yes, I believe so. Now, I I always when I did the research on on all the, you know, new options for fuels and and the battle was between uh, CNG and LNG and two very, very different technologies in different engines, different transport methods, different storage methods, different delivery methods. And each one has its plus and minuses. But I always get them fused as to which one needs one of them. It's really, really slow to fuel. So that's a downside. The other one, and I think it's compressed natural gas. The other one, you actually lose gas over time. uh, And it doesn't even take long. Like overnight, you actually lose gas. So that was a downside to one of them. Um, but it's been, it's been probably a year and a half since I did all that research and I don't remember all the details.
0: That's all right. I just, if if liquefied natural gas had to be stored under pressure, I was just curious what the difference between it and compressed natural gas was, and then who's going to win the battle for superiority.
1: Well, that's the that's the real big question is is they both had some pluses and minuses, like I said. And, and it was hard to pick a true winner, you know, and, and actually it looked like both of them might emerge because it looked like certain operations would benefit from one, say, really short haul stuff where they could get the truck back to the same location every time they were favoring one technology. And then the longer haul trucks, it, it made more sense to use the other. So it looked like both of them might actually end up sticking around if if we even move to compress natural gas at all. I mean, look at what's going to happen right now with the prices where they are right now. Propane, natural gas, none of that stuff makes any sense right now because diesel's so cheap.
0: Well, I, I read a lot and it seems like one big truck chain is saddle their horse to the, uh, no. liquefied natural gas. And another bigger chain is, uh, is kind of hitching on to the, uh, compressed natural gas.
1: Right. And, I, and I, I think that both may end up staying now, you know, will there ever be enough demand that a truck stop would handle both? I don't know. I, there certainly isn't enough demand right now. Um, well, and I don't
0: get the structure nightmare.
1: Yeah, it is. And, and not only an infrastructure nightmare, the trucks are outrageously expensive. And the maintenance cost actually doubles on those trucks. Nobody was talking about that. I, I found tons of research that took identical truck models. One was full diesel. One was either one of the natural gases. And the maintenance cost doubled on the vehicle. I, there is no way that makes any kind of sense at all.
0: Uh, no, not really. So, well, I, I'm not switching. I was just curious. I, I read read a lot about the truck stop change and and the, uh, what they're doing. I was just curious which one I was going to dominate. Let's move on to a fast. Then uh, I have, uh, and, and I don't want this to sound like an indictment of fast because I firmly believe in their uh, concept of what they're doing. But I've had a fast on for three years, and I like to pass on some advice to anybody. But in those three years, I've had five pump failures. The first one was right after I got it, and wasn't a problem, it just plumb locked up. The next three all leaked under pressure, and the solution for it was, was to simply unhook the pump, and you went ahead and ran it, and it didn't make any difference. However, this fifth one is what I want to talk about, and evidently what happened is, is the pump locked up, and the seal failed in a way that it started sucking air, because the truck all of a sudden, it acted like I had an injector out. And in order to get to a safe place to pull off, it just was barely running by the time I got there and then died. And the first thing I noticed was the bass was not running. The pump wasn't running. So, just on a hunch, I took a filter off and it was dry as a bone. So, in order to get back home, what we did was we simply took the input hose, uh, hose off and the output hose off, hooked them together. And once we got a prime back up, it started, ran fine. So my, my advice is anybody that has a FAST, damn good well better have a fitting with them and know how to take the input and the output hose off, hook them together to be able to run just in case of a, a failure of that type on the FAST system.
1: That's a good idea. You know, the the one thing I'm going to follow up with Brad on is, you know, I've followed their uh, their pump uh, success rate for years because early on it was definitely an issue. I've, I've never had a pump fail on any of them, but I, I know that they were. And their percentage, they've improved that pump over the years, found different vendors, different designs, and, and their percentage has gone way, way up of, of successful, you know, pump lasts forever kind of stuff. And their failure rate on the pumps has gone down extremely low. What I'm curious about, though, because the numbers, when you look at how high their success rate is now, how low the failure rate is on those pumps, but what I seem to find is the same unit failing over and over. And that doesn't make any sense. If the, well, odds, I, if the odds that a pump is going to fail are less than you know, a couple percent, then the odds of a unit having a pump fail twice goes up dramatically. And three or four times is it seems like the numbers would almost say that's impossible. So what I'm wondering is, is the pump failure just a symptom of another problem with the unit? And that's why well,
0: it causes I suppose it. Could be, but I don't know what it meant. Here's the one, the only thing I had focused on possibly, and this is just me talking. I have the uh, Cummins, which uses a bigger pump. I think it's a 220-gallon-a-minute pump, and a lot of them use a smaller pump. Could there be more failure rate, higher failure rate on the uh, bigger pump as opposed to the smaller gallon-per-minute pump?
1: See, that, that's a possibility. And that's what I would start looking at. When we see something that is so out of the ordinary, and, and like I say, we track all these numbers with our vendors. I stay on top of this stuff. I know, you know what their failure rate is, what their warranty issues are. And it, the numbers just don't make sense when one unit keeps failing pumps and the failure rate for all the rest of the units is so low now. That right. the odd just seems that there's got to be something else going on. So um, that that bigger pump might be an issue. I'm, I'm going to run this by Brad, though, and find out. But but I your advice about being able to fix this kind of stuff on the road yourself is, is great advice. And it's one of the reasons why we don't see fleets adopt a lot of these technologies. Right. A lot of the technologies we talk about require the owner to be much more hands-on uh, to be able to get those benefits.
0: In my case, it was simply a, a case of uh, taking uh, two female flares off and putting a double male flare fitting between those uh, two hoses. is a very, very simple thing. Yeah. However, with the uh, fittings having been on for three years, do will take the fittings off to replace the uh, pump motor. And uh having been on for three years and uh, mm-hmm. it was a challenge getting them loose. It was that was the worst part yeah. of it. We did, we did get them broke loose and uh the little shop parking lot I was in had the fitting and so it wasn't a problem getting it uh cobbled up to get me home. And I after the third one I actually stocked an extra pump, so it wasn't any problem getting home and swapping the pumps and putting the new one on, but it's kinda aggravating. Yeah.
1: yeah, no question. Thanks for the uh the feedback. I'm gonna get to a break. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's head off to Minnesota. Dean, welcome to the program.
0: Hello, Kevin. I have a uh, the job that I do is uh, delivering livestock feed. I have a 42-foot uh, trailer, uh, day cab, uh, idle is 50%, and I'm 80,000 pounds. What I'm looking for, right now I'm running an 06 uh, Freightliner with a uh, 14 liter. And I would like to get away from this and get back to a non emissions truck. Okay. I guess my, my question is I want to go back to a 97 to a 2003 day cab. I would like maybe a Volvo or a Jeep, Um. Straightliners liners tend to fall apart, interior and outside, I guess. But I'm looking for like a 12.7 Detroit, 10.14, or a Cat. What truck would you recommend, or what truck actually have those in that year?
1: Yeah, so... If let's talk about the Volvos first because that is one of my top choices for an older truck because they do hold up really well. The interiors stay nice. They stay nice and solid. They don't get a lot of rattles. Now, the last year you're going to find a Volvo with the Detroit was 01. So 02 and 03 is out. They just didn't make that truck with that engine. But that that would be my first choice. Now, the other thing is, just looking for trucks for years and years, Volvo day cabs were pretty rare. Um, So that that's going to be a tough truck to find. It doesn't mean we don't go looking for it, though, because it's out there somewhere. My second choice would be the Volvo with a. uh, You know, I really like the C12. And and even in your operation, I think a C12 would be an ideal engine. So I, I would look for a Volvo with a C12 cat. Uh, my third option would be uh, with an N14. Now, if you go to a Pete, the odds of finding a C12 go way up. A, a Volvo with a C12, pretty rare. Uh, but finding a day cab Pete with a C12 wouldn't be that difficult. In fact, that's probably going to be the easiest truck to find, I would imagine, and and that would still be a great choice. I mean, the make of the truck to me isn't critical. What whatever you like. I happen to like the Volvos because they hold up well, but so do the Packard products. They hold up just fine. The odds of finding a Packard product with a Detroit engine are pretty slim. You're going to have a better shot finding a Kenworth than you will a Pete, but. Those are both a little more rare. Finding the car product with the C12 shouldn't be hard at all. It, and that would be my kind of second choice. Now, the other thing you could look at, and I, I feel the same way you do about Freightliners, but the one exception is the FLD, the late 90s FLDs. And you can find those all over the place with Detroit's. They hold up really well. The interior was a very different design from the Columbias and the Centuries, which just fall apart. And the Coronado, same thing with that. the The interiors on those are all the same, and they're junk. They really are. But the FLD was a, a much more solid truck. Well,
0: the problem I have, uh, I'm not a big fan of the big square hoods. You know, the the big truck. Um, I'm only five six. So uh, I like slow hood, so my visibility is a lot better. Um, that's why you know uh, now the, the FLDs and the classic. I mean, they're the big hooded runs, right?
1: Well, the classic is, but the FLD is actually pretty aerodynamic. It, it's it's much more aerodynamic than the classic. It's not okay. quite as aerodynamic as say a Century or a Columbia, but even better than a Coronado. You know, and, and we built a lot of Coronados, got tons of great fuel economy, but the FLD is actually a a bit of an improvement over the aerodynamics of a Coronado.
0: Okay. No, I've, uh, I want to get out of this truck in six months because it's been a good truck, but you know, it's going to go bad someday unless you get the lucky one that doesn't, but, uh, I just want to find a truck and a motor with uh, that I can get fuel mileage out of, because right now I'm running about 4.5 on average. Now, it has jumped to 5 the last two fields. Don't know if the fact it's 25, 30 degrees out here, or if uh, I switched to uh, blended synthetic um, just lately, and since then I've been running 5. So I've gotten a half a mile better, but I can't say
1: that it's the oil that did it. You know, it's it's almost always a combination of things. And that happens once in a while. We make some changes. We either see a bigger gain than what we expected or a much smaller gain than what we expected. And in either case, it's probably several factors all contributing to it. It, it. You know, I've said a lot of times. Fuel mileage tracking is, it's a difficult game. There's a lot to learn. It takes practice and time. And and even with all kinds of years of experience doing it, there were still times where I would look at results and go, I don't know. I have no idea why that happened. Doesn't happen often. and, And the more we do it and the more we learn from it, the less often that happens. But there are just a lot of variables. So we can't always figure out what's going on let's go to Kentucky. Ed, welcome to the program.
4: Hey Kevin, how are you guys doing today? I uh I just wanted to let you guys know about your notification processes. I I seem to be getting two text messages every day because I get one from you, which I thought you were going to cut out, and then I get one from from uh Twitter uh because I favorite you as uh as instead of just following, I favorite you. So anytime you send out a tweet, I get a text message on my phone and I, and if other people wanted to be able to keep up with the show, I think that's probably the best way to do it. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And I didn't realize that. And um, I, I actually just interviewed, well, I've been interviewing for the last uh, couple weeks. I'm hiring somebody to manage that whole process. And, and the reason we're still doing the text message is because I didn't have anybody to set anything else up. So, you. you know, we're, at at twitter and facebook and texting and emailing several different options what i'd love to be able to do is have a sign up page that allows each person to choose how they want to be notified and then yeah, we can the list and then that way everybody gets it the way they want it
4: right well that's what because uh, i know that you know when people post on facebook you don't get notified The only time you get notified is if you label them as a close friend. I don't know if anybody else knows that, but if you let's say you're friends with somebody, you can put a group, put them in a group to to like people you went to high school with people you work with. Well, there's one called close friends. And if you put close friends, anytime they do anything on Facebook publicly, then you get notified that they shared something or posted something. And that's another way, but I know there's a limited amount of friends that people can have and all that. But on Twitter, you just make sure your phone number is registered with your Twitter account, and then you favorite whoever it is you want to get notifications from. And instead of just following them, you actually favorite them. And then anytime they do anything on Twitter publicly, you get notified of that as well. So anytime now, you post articles or anything like that, I get notified.
1: Is there any charge for that?
4: No. Twitter is like Facebook. They don't charge anything for the, for the individual users.
1: You know, yeah, well, so. the, and what what's curious about that for me is I can understand Facebook being free because I, I they have a lot of expenses. There's no question. Their servers, their infrastructure, all that stuff. But and they're big enough; they're making a ton of money. But the thing about text messaging is to send that text message has a big cost. I mean, that's our biggest struggle with it. I, I would love to just send everybody a text message every time we're going to do a show. That would be my easiest answer it's the most direct but it's outrageously expensive
4: um i've well, only they, got well, two
3: thousand. they
4: do they do tell you that standard text messaging rates apply so to a to an individual if you're not limited to text messages then now you that, might get charged for too many text well messages. that's not
1: That's not the cost I'm talking about, though, because even when I send one out, even though I'm paying to send it out, it's the same thing. If you don't have a package, you're going to pay for every text you get. So there's actually a cost on both ends. I mean, you have to have a text messaging package. I have to pay for each text I send out. And with 2000 people for only one podcast, if I wanted to notify everybody every day of just my show, just the one I'm spending uh, almost $2,000 a month on one show to notify people by text. And that's with only 2,000 people on the list. If I had 4,000 people, my cost would almost double. So we're looking, we're actually having our programmers look at building our own system. We would still have to pay somebody for the text, but we think we can drop the cost almost in half. It's just going to require a lot of upfront programming. So we're looking at other options. I love the Twitter option. Uh, We just have to figure out how to get everybody signed up and, and set up right. Thanks for joining me. I've got to get out of here. We'll see you back here next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work. And master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Ruff. All right, everybody, hang on, because uh, I'm looking at the calls here. I think we're going to go ahead and start a second hour, but I can tell you right now, we don't have enough questions to get through that hour. So we'll either just go until we run out or we'll uh, maybe we'll get more calls. So if you want to get through, now is the time. If you press one on the phone right now, we'll get to you.
0: Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket.
1: Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. If you have questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, Well, you've come to the right place. That's what we do here. We take your calls and we answer your questions about all of those topics and many more. If you want to know about personal development, about what kind of books you should be reading, anything to do with business or financial planning, call us up. We'll tackle it here on the air. Um, We're going to get to those calls in just a couple minutes. I've been talking a lot lately about health and fitness and tracking numbers. And we're taking the same approach to this topic as we've taken to every other topic we talk about, whether it's fuel mileage, maintenance cost, accounting, um, your rates, whatever it might be. I firmly believe in doing things by the numbers. And having numbers and data in front of you can make all the difference. And I've known that for years. That's why we put so much time and effort into building our fuel mileage tracking program. By the way, if you're not using that, I'd like to know why not. It's free. It's the hands down the best fuel mileage tracking program on the planet. Really, we have put a lot of time and energy into this. And if you haven't tried it yet, go try it. You can find it at Let'sTruck.com. And again, it's free. It's not a free trial. It's free forever. So go use it. You'll be able to see your 30-day average, your 60-day average, your 90-day average, your lifetime average. You'll see real fuel mileage on every tank. You'll see your fuel cost per mile. And all you have to do is put in a couple numbers. You open up your phone app. The phone app is free, by the way. While you're standing there getting fuel, open up the phone app, update your odometer reading, put in the number of gallons and the price, and you're done. That's it. It takes less than 30 seconds to enter each receipt, and all of that information is available to you from then on. You don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. Our software does that for you. It's all online, so you can access it from anywhere. And not only do you get to see your fuel mileage, but you get to see the fuel mileage of all the trucks that are in the system. Tens of thousands of trucks. We have over 1.1 million fuel tickets in that system, and you can see them all. So it, it's a great place to track your fuel mileage. It's a great place to learn about what really works in fuel economy. You can track all your trucks' upgrades and modifications and maintenance. It's all free. There's even. Uh, Uh, your total gallons broken down by state is available as well. So if you do your own fuel tax, you'll have those numbers. Check it out. It's at letstruck.com. So we've known that, that numbers make a difference. I told people for years, still tell them, just go track your fuel mileage using our program. Don't even make any changes and watch your fuel mileage go up. People say, well, Kevin, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know it doesn't, but just by tracking your numbers, you will make changes without even trying. And I'm finding the exact same thing on fitness. All of the new technology available, the new fitness trackers, some of these bands are less than $50. And and what I'm finding is they all work. They're all fairly accurate as far as the, the basics. They'll track steps distance, and they'll estimate how many calories you've burned. And they're all pretty accurate at that. And just that information alone was enough to make me start changing my habits. And it was subtle, not big things, little things. Um, not trying to maximize every trip I make upstairs. It used to be I'd make sure I was thinking of everything, so I only had to go up once. Now, we'll go up three or four times instead. I get that many more steps, I get that much more activity, and it's really not adding any time to my day. I'm still getting just as much work done. In fact, I'm getting more work done because by being more active, I'm actually finding that I have more energy and I'm more motivated and I feel better. So I'm actually getting more done, even though I'm taking more time out of my day to be active. It's one of those areas that I talk about, counterintuitive thinking. Some people say, I just don't have time to be active. I'm too busy at work. Well, you don't have time not to be active. You've got to get up and you've got to move. It it is the number one health problem in our country as we have become way too sedentary. And now we have some technology that can help us. I have settings on my bands that every 15 minutes, If I haven't been active, my bands vibrate. They buzz just to let me know, hey, it's been 15 minutes. You haven't gotten up. Sometimes I'll just take a break, breathe, maybe do a quick five minute meditation, stretch a little bit at my desk. Other times I'll get up and go for a walk. And when I look at my numbers every day, you know, I have a goal. I want to get to 10,000 steps every day. And towards the middle or end of the day, if I know I'm falling behind, I pay attention and I get up and I'll go take the dog for another walk. I'll go spend 30 minutes on the treadmill, whatever it takes. So use the technology that's available. It's dirt cheap, 40 or 50 bucks for one of these bands is nothing. Now you could also go up to about 500 to get one of the new high tech watches that do all the fitness stuff and a lot more. I'm looking forward to the Apple watch coming out. Uh, I think that one is, is, You know, since we're so Apple centric around here, that one's going to make a lot of sense for us. But we're testing a bunch of different bands. I'll have uh, more updates for you later on. But but honestly, what I can say now, there's not a huge difference between these bands. It it really comes down to how much money do you want to spend and what features do you want to get? Let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to North Carolina. Freddie, welcome to the program.
3: How are
5: you doing, sir?
1: Good. What can I help you with today?
5: Um, I'm pulling a tanker now, and I'm trying to understand the rates. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions of how to find information about rates and understanding the rates for tanker loads.
1: You know, that is one of the segments that's more difficult. You know, when we look at load boards, load boards are primarily van, flatbed, and reefer. And the, the other segments kind of tend to get lost. And even with all the loads we move with van, flatbed, reefer, it's really difficult to get absolutely accurate numbers. I've been seeing a lot of discussions online lately about why do people bother paying the load boards extra to get data when the data isn't accurate? And we know it's not accurate, but it's mm-hmm. the best we have available. So when you look at the little bit of cost you've got to pay compared to how that data can help you, even though it's not perfect, some people say, well, I don't want it because I know it's got to be wrong because they're posting loads multiple times. So the same loads are showing up. That's skewing the numbers. Yeah, I get that. But it's still information. And and it's way, way better than trying to fly with no information. Uh, right. So. I think that, yeah, I, I would still pay for access to any of that information because it helps me make decisions. Now, in some of the smaller segments, that makes it even more difficult. We we just don't have enough volume in one place to track those numbers. Um, do you belong to any of the load boards?
5: No, I don't. I'm, I'm in a situation where I'm being dispatched. So I'm, I'm, I'm I was trying to understand how they got, how they're getting their rates other than whatever they charge the customer or, and I think they use some brokers every now and then. Um, but uh, I'm just trying to understand how they do it. You know, based on when I was at Landstar, you, of course you had the board, but you understand that the agents got the customer base. But with this company um, I'm, I'm depending on dispatchers and, you know they throwing stuff at you, and I'm like okay it it, it sounds good, but at then i'm at the end of the day, I'm not comfortable with it, so I end up refusing it yeah so, it, have, there's
1: a, there's a couple ways we can approach this one is you know and pricing in any business is extremely difficult. in fact, I think it's one of the more challenging things um and in some businesses, even much more difficult. for example, when I write a book, you know how do I price that?" Do I price it based on how much time I put into it? Do I price it based on how much value I think the information brings? Do I price it where I think I can sell the most units and make the most money? And ultimately, it probably ends up becoming a mix of all of those things. Freight rates are are a little easier just because there are so many of them. You know, so we, we do have information we can go get. But there is another way to price things and that is to start with your cost and your expected profit and see how well that matches the real world. Now, I'm not saying we can sit down, figure up our costs, say we want this much profit, and somebody's going to pay it. They might not. Our numbers might not match reality in the real world. And it's, well, I I hear the music play, and let me get to a break, and I'll come back, and I've got more to say about that. We'll be right back. Stick around. Kevin Rothberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. Before the break, I was talking with Freddie in North Carolina. We're talking about rates. Freddie, you still with me? Yes, sir. So I've even heard, yeah, I've even heard other people on this channel just say, well, the way you set your rate is what I just talked about. You know your cost, add your profit, and that's your rate. Yeah, well, yeah. that's a nice place to start, but I've seen lots of people do that and, and they're not going to get that rate. It's just not reality. We'd love to say, well, that's what we need to make to make a profit, but the market will say too bad. Maybe your expenses are just too high. Maybe you just expect too much profit. This yeah. is what the rate is in the real world. Um, so you're, are you leased to a carrier or are you using a dispatch service?
5: no i'm leased to a carrier i haven't come across anyone that has their own authority pulling the tanker or any company but right now i'm leased to a company
3: so yeah um,
1: it's another part of that segment that it's pretty unusual um there aren't a lot of tanker customers that want to deal with one truck you know it, it just doesn't fit that model very well so it is one of the areas where getting your own authority in that segment is really, really difficult. I, I, I won't say nobody's doing it, but it, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's tough to start, you know, small as a tanker company. So just, just out of curiosity, what kind of rates are you seeing uh, that you're not happy with?
5: Well, um, for example, I took a load to Chicago to pay $3 a mile and they wanted me to come back for around uh two dollars a mile and i was feeling like when i was in that area that area should have, should be a whole lot stronger but it a backhaul rate and i wasn't too happy with that because you know i I'm, i felt like i was in a profitable area where we could get a stronger rate but um for the most part i'm, I'm usually around 250 and
1: up you know that that's a very solid rate um especially if you can do that for all miles, because honestly, you know, there isn't any
5: specialized, so I'm pulling chemicals. So it's more specialized. So that's why I was right. Yeah. Yeah, And
1: that's good. But, but other than the skill required to do it, which you obviously have, is it much more difficult than any other job in trucking? I mean, I, I haven't done any tanker work at all. I understand it. I know most of what you've got to do, but from, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look that much more difficult than pulling even van freight and hitting grocery warehouses or pulling flatbed and tarping and chaining and all that other stuff or hauling cars where we've got to load and unload. Um, And that rate's pretty strong. Here's the thing we, we have to get over Um, the word backhaul. People say, Oh, there's no such thing. It it doesn't matter what we call it. Get over the words. Um, and, And I'm not, talking directly to you. I'm talking to everybody. Get over the words. It it doesn't matter if somebody calls it a back haul, a front haul, a sideways haul. The rate is the rate. And I don't know Chicago when it comes to tankers. I do know that Chicago can be a very strong market for certain types of freight. Uh, Flatbed, for example, usually strong out of Chicago. Tanker, maybe not so much. And, And maybe one of the things that can happen is we just get an imbalance in certain cities. For whatever reason, there might be a lot of tanker freight going into Chicago and there might be a lot coming out. But if it's an imbalance, you know, let's say, for example, if we look at someplace like uh, uh, Seattle, uh, maybe Seattle doesn't have a lot of tanker loads. Uh, maybe Chicago has way more tanker loads than Seattle. But all but for some reason, the rate seems lower. And we would think, well, that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot more loads. Mm-hmm. Well, it could make sense because we also have to look at the other factor. How many trucks are sitting in Chicago pulling tanks? And and it might be way more than than the number of loads. Even though the loads are really high compared to other cities, if the number of trucks competing for those loads is also extremely high, That'll drive the rate down. Sometimes right. markets that don't have a lot of loads can have better rates because they also don't have a lot of tankers coming into the location. So it, it, it's, it can be somewhat complicated. The frustrating part when you're in your position is, like you said, where can you find more information about what those rates really are? It, and yeah. it's different. Um, the best you can probably do is try creating relationships with other people in the industry and find out you know what is a normal rate coming out of there and just talk to a lot of people because i don't know of anywhere where where there's a lot of tanker information available
5: okay i have one more question about my ops i got the original ops and i i noticed uh, the other day i went to get a sample it was it was barely trickling out and i was wondering what can i get what can I do to get it checked out to to uh to, to get my to get it flowing back to where I can get a, a sample to send in. Now
3: the
1: the sample the, the check valve on that the or the drain valve on that is before filter, right?
3: Yes.
1: Yeah um, so the original
5: one that sits on the side the drain valve sits on the side right. of the, the top canister. Yeah.
1: And And now, we're getting
5: that button, and it,
1: it barely was trickling out. Um, you may have some dirt in one of the fittings or the lines. Now, on the old unit, there is a uh, a flow valve in there that can be adjusted, but that only controls the amount of oil flowing through the filter. because right. the, that drain valve is prior to the filter, there isn't anything that controls that flow other than the engine oil pressure. So, and I'm assuming you haven't seen any drop in oil pressure.
5: No, I haven't. I just had, I just had an overhead done. I don't know.
1: You know what I would do? Call, call tech supported OPS. They they are excellent over there at troubleshooting this kind of stuff, but it sounds to me like it almost has to be like a clogged fitting or a line between the block and the filter.
2: Okay.
5: One more question. Would the, um, would, would your MPG be affected pulling a tanker with when you're fighting surge? And, not a uh, lot. Not okay. not you a lot. Still got to control your speed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Speed is still the biggest factor. You know, the uh, tanks are actually pretty aerodynamic, so it, it's not a bad trailer to be. Some are certainly less than others, but um, that surge it does affect fuel economy, but it's very very minor. And the problem is trying to figure out how much it affects fuel economy would be very difficult. We would have to do a lot of testing. And then I'm not sure what we would do about it anyway. Let's go to New York. Anthony, welcome to the program.
6: Um, I'm planning a family day vehicle. I'm going to make it out of Freightliner M2106 4x4 with the ISB 325 horse 750 torque going to have an automatic Allison 3,200. Maximum weight probably going to be around 18,000 pounds. And it's 25 feet long with a 190-inch wheelbase. So my question is on the rear, dualies or single wide? And how does the singles wide work in snow? Uh,
1: the single wides work extremely well in snow. In fact, I, I prefer them. Um, I, I've been on the test track with them. I've been able to compare them head to head to duels in, in all kinds of conditions on the test track where you can really push things. You know, a lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say, well, you know, I, I'm just not wild about the way the, the wide singles handle. And, and I'll find out that, you know, they're typically, um, it wasn't their choice to have them. It was probably a company truck and, and I'll ask them about their experience with them. But the thing is, on the road, we never get to really push a tire to its limit. If we do, we've probably screwed up. You know, we certainly don't want to do it again. But the beauty of being out on the test track is that's exactly what we get to do. We get to push a, a tire till it fails. You know, we get to push a tire till it breaks loose and and we put the truck into a spin. We get to do, you know, hard braking on the brake pad and see what happens with you know we have outriggers on the trailer so you don't have to worry about flipping it over so we really got a chance to see how those tires performed against each other and in every single case i liked like the wide singles better they, they absolutely handle better I used to say they probably handle just as good once I got a chance to really push them that way on the test track I'm a firm believer that they handle better. So, yeah, I would go with wide singles on this. Now, I, I missed the first thing you said. What are you building this truck for?
6: It's just like a day van, a family day van, because I have uh, I've eight kids, myself and my wife, and everything's too small.
3: So Got it. Gonna, Got
6: it. Uh, so, if I'm out in the road and I get a flat, I'll have to I'll be called a Michelin because it's probably a Michelin single uh, tire on the back. They're going to be able to change that tire right there on the spot.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I know people that, you know, changing a wide single isn't all that difficult. Um, it's obviously a little heavier to deal with, you know, one tire. But it once you know how, with a couple crowbars and a couple blocks, um, I know people who carry the tools and change their own wide singles. It's not that hard.
6: okay going to play a way to mount it. Okay. How many different set patterns do they have? i got to look it up. I could do that for six. I don't a That would be good. Yep. I've, I've got to get to a break.
1: The music's playing. We will be right back with more stuff. Don't go away. i Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. We're off to Texas. Jimmy, welcome to the program.
0: Hey, how you doing, Kevin?
1: Doing good. What can I help you with today?
0: Uh, Two things. One question. uh, Can civilians, regular people, go to that Michelin driving school?
5: Uh,
1: I don't think so. It's not really a driving school. Um, it's, it's their test track where they test all kinds of tires, not just theirs. They test everybody's tires and they test car tires, truck tires. They have multiple different kinds of tracks. They do roll down testing for rolling resistance. They have shops. Um, the day that I was there, um, they had invited in a bunch of writers from different magazines so it's I I do know they occasionally open it up to the press and and things like that and they allow us to come because we partner with them on so many things. I, you know I'll check though to find out if if they ever open it up to individuals or not and and if so I'll let everybody know cuz it's a great experience just to go see it.
0: Right right. And uh I'm one of the uh one of the full gear failures that Bruce was talking about a couple weeks ago. On the Detroit 60, it's an aftermarket bull gear that's a one-piece gear. Uh, For the 60, the bull gear is actually two gears pressed together. But what was happening was the factory was setting the preset too tight on the gear, and they were burning up. Mine burned up in
3: 253000
0: But we found out that the bull gear is – you can rebuild the bull gear. It's just a preset hub like a car hub, but finding the shims to set the preset is the hard part. Uh, there's a website called full that that's all that guy does is rebuild full wow. gears and you can get shims and new bearings and just rebuild the full gear and save a couple hundred dollars. Like the uh, aftermarket was 900 and it cost us less than two to rebuild the bowl gear when we got into it.
1: You know, one but, uh, of the things I can see happening is, you know, we we're we're hitting this phase now where the pre-emission '60 series are so popular that we're seeing failures. We can't get enough good blocks. We can't get enough good injectors and parts. I, I think that's going to turn around. I, somebody's going to step up and see that that there's a need. And, and like this guy who said, hey, hey, I've got an idea. Let's rebuild these things. And and he gets the parts and he figures out how to do it. And we might end up with way better quality that way. And I think that as long as we continue to see the outrageously high cost of operating these new engines, more people are still going to want these pre-emission engines. And somebody's going to step up and we're going to see, start seeing a better parts supply. Uh-oh. And I think we lost Jimmy. Um, Thanks for the heads up on that. We're staying on top of that. We're looking for for better sources for all of these parts because I'm committed to keeping these engines running as long as we need to. And we need to keep the pre-emission engines running until the government finally takes a breather from all their mandates and the OEMs finally get a chance to, to get these new engines running right. It will happen. I'm totally confident. I just don't know when. Let's go to Indiana, Melissa. Welcome to the program.
7: Hi, Kevin. How are you?
1: Good. What's on okay. your mind today?
7: I have a question, and I have three comments. Uh, first, if you could, if you would answer answer me this question, it's about the implication of maybe uh, my taxes and how should how would I file it if. Like, right now, I am a sole proprietor, and I want to switch maybe to LLC or, uh, you know, or corporation. Okay. So, as a LLC and corporation, I can, like, maybe um have myself as an employee. Is that correct? And also, at the end of the year, you know, what's going to happen with that, like, a dual thing? First, I'm sole proprietor, and then I'm LLC. How does that affect how I file?
1: So... As an LLC or a corporation, you, you have to be an employee. It's actually a requirement. Um, I, as the owner, uh, if you do any work for the corporation, which you do, uh, you have to get paid as an employee for the uh, a, an average wage or a reasonable wage, I think, is the number that they use. So what we typically do, and tax-wise, we want to keep your wage as low as we can get away with. You know, we, the the IRS doesn't give us clear guidelines, but the lower we keep your wage, the more we can save on taxes. So what we tend to do is just take the industry average that gets reported every year, you know, somewhere around 40 cents a mile or so. And that's what we set. We kind of average it and set the same pay every week. So it's nice and easy to do payroll and you become an employee, payroll taxes are taken out, but then the rest of the money, the rest of the profit. You get to take out of the corporation as a, as a draw, and we only have to pay tax on it. So we save all the Social Security and Medicare. Now, the way that you would do it is I, I'd like to at least pick the first day of a month to make the corporation active. So let's say we. It, it's going to take you a little while to get it all together, and and we shoot for March 1st to launch it. What would happen then is you would have to do your bookkeeping. You would have to print out a tax report for January and February, and you would file a Schedule C as a sole proprietor for those two months. Then we would take Uh and print out a tax report from March through the end of the year, and you would file a corporate return for that
0: period.
7: Does that mean that I'm filing twice or that I'm just like,
1: just filing two filing different ten, types of returns. returns. See, for for example, once you become a corporation, even for a whole year, what's going to happen then is yes, you're going to file your business as a corporation for the whole year, but you still have to file a personal tax return. So once you own a corporation, yeah, once you own a corporation, you're always going to file two tax returns. Right. I see.
7: Well, now I'm going to be filing like a three different forms and putting it all together as one return? Correct. Okay, that's the question. Thank you very much. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more, but I'll need to um, check into that and find out. But that's general where I need to go and look. Thank you. Yep. Um, now, I want to comment on why I'm not using your fuel gauges. One thing. Okay. I'm not using them. There's nothing wrong with using them. I just don't want to have too much information. Myself, this is personal, you know, and I know that you... You know, the more information you have, the better you're off. But for me, I kind of like get uh, get one number, and, um, you know, I'm I'm like, that's enough for me. I know, maybe well, it's not good for business, but. And then, well, it's the, like, you
1: know, here's the yeah, beauty of business. Here's the beauty of business. This is why I love business. We get to do what we want. You know, when you're an employee, you kind of have to do things the way they want you to do it. It's their company. They get to set the rules and we have to follow them. But if you own the business, you get to do it the way you want. And and my way certainly isn't the only way. Um, I like my way. I like sharing my way and helping other people. But I think everybody that that's the beauty of being in business. You took the risk. You did the hard work and you get to run this the way you want to. If you don't want to track fuel mileage, you don't have to.
7: Right, and um, I okay. Well, I track my fuel mileage, um, in a in a book, and I write it down, and I know each month, each each fuel of what I what I get for fuel mileage because i long time ago, and it right. seems to be working for me. You know, I know exactly. I can add up all my fuel, and I can you know just take a few minutes. I can like you know this is just for myself. Um, I can divide and and see what I spent for like a January, February, and March. And my book, like the one that I have carries me like for about a year or two years. And then I get another book and I, you know, keep yeah. everything in it as well. So Absolutely. I have that under my fingertips, you know, I don't have yeah. to.
1: That's outstanding. And, and, and people who don't mind doing a little extra work, calculating the averages and doing it by paper, you're getting the exact same information. So yeah, you're you're you've got the information you need in front of you. So what you're doing is great. Just keep doing it.
7: Okay. Yeah. I I like it because you know it's like a pencil, muscle memory, and everything. You know, it's right. really I like to use it. But and um, I also use an iPad. I do have it. So you know, I'm gonna look into and see how easy it will be like to get your website and just have it one click and log in and, and try and use it because yeah. You know,
1: it's pretty simple. Um, like I say, if you if you enjoy doing you know paper and pencil, it's excellent. I mean, you really understand the numbers because you're the one calculating them every day. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I like the app just because it saves me time. Let's. Uh, I've got to get to a break. When we get back, we'll get to more of your phone calls. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's go to Georgia this time. Steve, welcome to the program.
8: Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? Uh, first, I want to say I really do appreciate all the information and the um, things that you do for us travelers because uh, doing the profit gauges and getting the scan gauge, I tell you, it really opened my eyes. And I really do appreciate everything you're doing for us. Uh, the question that I ha- the question that I have is that I uh have a O nine Cascade Cascadia with a dd D fifteen in it. And I uh here lately this been happening maybe about two weeks that my chickens and light would come on and my oil pressure would drop all the way down to zero. But at the same time, you know, um I can run for maybe about an hour, hour or two or something like that, and the oil pressure come back up come back up to normal operating pressure okay now in the scan gauge it gave me a code and i went on online to figure out the code and it's saying it was a uh the voltage was low in the oil pressure sensor and uh is i mean have you ever heard anything like that or
1: yeah yeah we see that quite often uh it, and most of the time, especially if we see oil pressure drop to zero, it, it, that's impossible if the engine's still running. I mean, if the engine's yep. running and we don't have any oil pressure, we don't have an engine anymore. So it's one thing to have it drop five or 10 pounds. Then we would start looking at bearings and all kinds of things. But to have it go to zero, that's a pretty clear indication that it's not really an oil pressure problem. It's a gauge or a sensor problem. And these trucks are getting so highly complicated with the electronics and so many things intertwined and multiple computers and everything talking to everything else that that voltage is becoming critically important. Um, Pittsburgh Power has, has measured as small as a half a volt drop cause problems. Now, trying wow. to find... Trying to find someplace where we dropped a half a volt is, is very time-consuming and tedious, but they've been developing a lot of new testing methods. They've even built some of their own testing equipment. They're, they're one of the few shops that I know really doing in-depth testing on electronic issues like this. So, you know, one of the things I tell people is anytime we see a voltage-related problem, it's probably time to do some good electrical system maintenance first before we try fixing this because you can waste a lot of money chasing down electrical problems. So I'd like to start at the batteries, pull off all the cables, clean everything up really well, replace any hardware, get it all clean, tightened back down, covered in dielectric grease, and then work from the batteries out. Start following the battery lines, um, check all the grounds on the truck, take the grounds off, grind them back down, get a nice clean connection on your grounds. Again, cover them with dielectric grease, Um, follow the battery cables to the ECM, check all the plugs at the ECM to make sure we're not getting any moisture or condensation in the plugs, that none of the pins are bent or loose. You know, and, and just go through anything we can find electrical and, and clean things up and, and get our grounds right. Sometimes it actually fixes the problem. Sometimes whatever weird problems we we're having go away. And we know then it was probably a ground or a bad connection. But even if they don't, we, now, we, now we know we have a good solid system to troubleshoot. And we're not going to run into weird problems that, that are going to make it even more difficult to find.
8: Okay, okay. I, I really do appreciate that, and that that'd give me a good place to start because I was thinking it could could be the battery weak in the ECM or 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 something like that. But that'd give me a good place to start, and I do
1: appreciate it. You're welcome. I don't believe now. I'm not positive on this, but I don't believe the DD fifteen has an internal battery in the ECM it, or one. And, and in an oh nine, I don't. Think we've ever seen that as an issue. Uh, I'll do some follow up on that though. Let's go to Virginia. Larry, welcome to the program.
9: Hi, Kevin. I'll keep it quick. I uh, was a prior for 15 years, never paid quarterly taxes, always counted on my wife's from her straight job taxes to pay the taxes. I never had to pay anything. Okay. Six months ago, she went to an LLC, started her own business. So from January to June of last year, my question is, am I able to uh, use that for my sole proprietorship to uh, cut back on the amount of taxes I have to pay, or because it's in her name as well as the LLC, she has to follow it all on her side?
1: Um, let me first start by saying the way you used to do it, and this is for everybody else because you know this, the way you used to do it was perfect. There's absolutely nothing wrong with bumping up a spouse's withholding or withholding extra every week, um, and, and using that to cover the overall tax so you don't have to make estimates. I, I, it's a great system. I recommend it all the time. Uh, now though, obviously things have changed. So, she ran the l l c. from January to June. Is she no longer doing it?
9: Oh, no, no. she started June last year.
1: Oh June, okay, so June to December is what we're looking at. Uh, how right. profitable was she?
9: zero it's uh, a okay. it's a bakery and you know new startups and restaurants and stuff like that. do you not expect to show profit at least two years. Oh
1: no, absolutely. So did she have a loss? Oh yeah, okay. Then let me think about this. Now, you can't file under her LLC. You would have to form an LLC for your business, if that makes any sense. And I don't know. So I'm not looking at your numbers. So she will file as an LLC. She'll have a loss. That loss then gets transferred on what's called a K1 form. And when you fill out your, you are a Schedule C and your 1040 you two do jointly. So on on your 1040 your personal tax return you'll have your profit but you'll also have her loss and her loss will help offset your profit when it comes to income tax. Now I I, I don't I'm not looking at the numbers so I don't know how much it's going to help. The other thing it doesn't help for is your social security and medicare. You pay 15 percent, 15.6, I think, 15.65 percent Social Security and Medicare on your net profit uh, and her loss. uh, You know, let me think about that. Her loss might carry over and get calculated even for self-employment, because I think we get to we get to use both. So it's not probably not as good as when she had a lot of withholding but that loss is going to help some. The, my best advice really is don't wait. Like I, I would be getting everything together right now when all your documents come in by the first week or two in February. I'd be at the accountants. That way, if you are going to owe tax, you, it'll at least buy you a couple months to save for it without incurring any interest or penalties.
9: Now, I'm going to have to pay quarterly taxes. What would be a good number to take off to the top? So that when I pay quarterly taxes, I have money in escrow.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of ways you can do this. You can wait until you get your tax return finished, then sit down with your accountant, your tax preparer, and let them work from last year's numbers. That's one way of doing it. As an owner operator, I can tell you if you set aside about 8 or 9% of your gross every week, not net, don't take any expenses off Whatever you gross the total revenue, take eight or nine percent of that and set it aside. and that'll cover your taxes and you'll be in good shape.
9: Good. That uh now I don't have steam coming on my ears anymore figuring out what to do. Um I appreciate it. I've already signed up for the uh profit gauges. I haven't been home yet. Uh trying to get everything squared away good. after Twenty years of driving for fun. Now New Year's resolution: leave no money on the table. All Ex- loose
1: ends. Excellent. I love that. That that's a great way to tackle the business. Good stuff. Uh, I'm looking at the clock, and unfortunately, I'm just about out of time. I've got to get out of here. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Great feedback. Great questions, as always. Keep the conversation going. You know, many of the topics we talk about here on the air, I post up on Facebook. So look for my personal page. Also, I'd love, love to have you go check out all of our new podcasts. So go to letstruck.com. Up on the top in the menu bar, you'll see Audio Road. That will take you to all the shows. Um, Help support us. We're, We're not charging anything for this. We're not making any money right now. We have tons of expenses. The best way for you to support us is just listen. Just go listen to the shows and see if you like them. If you like them, keep listening and give us a review on iTunes. Like us or hate us. Either way, give us a review. Let us know what we're doing right and what you don't like. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you back here next time. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Robert.
0: tuning in to the audio road if you have any questions give us a call at 855-800-FUEL that's 855-800-3835 check out the website at let and find us on facebook.com slash
3: let's truck